Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom is Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening to the listeners of The Gist of Freedom, normally hosted by Leslie Gist, and tonight, yours truly, Attorney Michael Cord, who has been with you before in this show, will be interviewing a young man who has a tragic story to tell about the American criminal justice system. Call it the American criminal justice system, but there's really not much justice. Let's see first if Brother Yusuf Salam is available. Brother Yusuf, are you available? Uh, yes, indeed. How's everything going? Oh, I'm going very well. So far, so good. Everything is going well. Um, by the way, when the normal host, Leslie Gist, asked me to interview you, I told her I could not because I'm doing my class at Temple University, a criminal justice class, and I decided that it'd be perfect to have you on speakerphone while we do this show so that the students in class can hear what this case is about and to hear your story. You don't mind that we have you on speakerphone, do you? Oh, absolutely. That sounds like a wonderful idea. Sounds great. And by the way, those who are listening or trying to get in, um, you've obviously dialed 347-324-5552. Spread the word. Contact your family and friends and tell them to listen to the Leslie Gist Show called The Gist of Freedom. That number again, 347 324 Five 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 two. Yusuf, I'm going to have you do most of the talking. Um, I told Leslie that I'd be with you from about eight o'clock to about eight thirty, eight thirty-five. So we'll just see how it goes. I'm going to do a brief background for those who are not familiar with your case, and then you fill in the gaps. Let's start like this. And by the way, this case deals not only with the racism in the criminal justice system, but also racism in the American media. And we're going to fast forward from your 1989 case to a 2013 case where two boys, aged 15 and 17, are accused of brutally robbing and shooting a mother who had a 13-month-old baby with her, and then after robbing and shooting the mother, allegedly shot her in the leg, they supposedly then shot the 13-month-old baby in the face. Now, everybody's outraged by that. It happened back in on uh, March 21 in Savannah, Georgia. But the media is like, it's like a feeding frenzy among sharks. They've shown these 17-year-old and 15-year-old black boys photographs and basically list them in the media. The reason why I mentioned that case is because it seems like it's almost like your case from 1989. But let's leave that Savannah, Georgia case from last month, actually from, May, from uh, March 21, um, and talk about your case. And let me just briefly, to the listening audience, give them basic information about your case, which people know as the Central Park Jogger case. It goes like this. Back on April 19 of 1989, it's alleged that five juveniles, four black and one Latino, attacked a white woman in Central Park. 
fast forward from 1989 to 2002, where the New York Supreme Court vacated their conviction. And the reason why they vacated their conviction is because a rapist murderer in prison confessed to the crime and his DNA matched the semen at the scene. Assuming that's all true, let me ask you this, Yusef. The persons accused are you, Antron McRae, Kevin Richardson, and Raymond Santana, along with Kerry Wise. Now, those four not only signed confessions, allegedly, but agreed to be videotaped in those confessions, and each of those four implicated each other. Let's add you to the mix along with those four, and they claim that you confessed, but you didn't sign anything, and you didn't have it videotaped. First of all, before we get into the specifics, how old were you at the time in 1989? Yes, I was 15 years old at the time. That's what I thought, 15. So now I've done enough talking. Let's go back to April of 1989. Let's start with your first encounter with the police. How did the police connect you with this incident? And I'm turning the microphone over to you, so just talk for as long as you'd like. Well, so, I mean... it's my it's my impression without having the true um like I because I wasn't there, the only thing that I can assume and I can assume this only because of what television shows us today. Okay. So general generally what happens is that there's an investigation that goes on and in that investigation there's some folks that get round up and some of those folks begin to um try to get the um the the focus off of them. And so they begin to say, Well, no, it wasn't me, it was him. Or it was this person, it was that person. Yes. yes. So, you know, you have to understand back in nineteen eighty nine I was about six three, um, very, very slim and I had a flat top. You know, I'm not sure if you guys have seen the film, but you know, the same way that I was depicted in that film, I actually been about that height since I was about twelve years old. Okay. So I was a very visible person, you know, and, and it was easy to, 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 it wasn't easy to forget me, basically. Um, that being said, um, once my name got associated with some stuff that had happened in the park, I was put on a list of folks that let, they needed to pick up. Let, let me stop you there, Yusef. Do you have an idea how your name got associated? Say that again? Do you have any idea how your name came up? And that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to explain. Like I'm not one hundred percent sure. The only thing that okay. I can assume is that folks tried to either cast the blame off of themselves by saying it was someone else. Okay. So I'm and I'm I mention that because there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened in the park that night. But of the things that happened in the park, none of the Central Park five, including myself, were ever found to be after we were found guilty in 1989 of doing a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't do, we were found to be innocent of absolutely everything that happened in the park. And I say that because, you know, we have to understand, you know, whenever they come to, come to you um, and you have a trial, the assailants, I mean, the victims come to court if they choose to be able to ID who did this to them. And as you can imagine, the Central Park jogger herself came to court, and she was asked on trial while she was on the witness stand, did she see anyone who did this to her? 
And she, of course, she said no. I mean, I, you know, nobody would ever expect her to say anything but that because according to the record, she had sustained um, injuries that were so bad that when she woke from her coma, she had amnesia, you know. But the significance of that is that when the other folks who were assaulted that night were asked if they saw anyone in the courtroom that did this to them, they too looked around and said, essentially, nope, it wasn't any of these guys. In fact, Yusuf, let me do this because you know and I know what you're referring to, that this case did not involve just the attack of the woman Tricia Mielli, who was brutally raped and assaulted, but supposedly there was what they called back in the day wilding going on, that people were being beaten and robbed and jumped on. So in addition to what happened to the Central Park jogger, there were several other people who were victimized by allegedly young blacks or young Latinos. So you're saying that even though Tricia Mielli Stated that she could not identify the assailant, and that's because she was so brutally assaulted. There were other people who were assaulted not so brutally, and none of them identified you or the other four. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Okay. You know, and I say now, that. I say that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so I was, I was, the reason why I say that is because, you know, a lot of times there's this question as to, well, you know, hey, well, they had to have done something wrong. You know, they don't realize that the reason why we are being um, the reason why we are being um, accused of having have done something wrong is really for nothing other than the color of our skin. Yes. You know, it's almost like to be born black is to be born guilty. You see, so if you're born guilty just because of the fact that you're being that you're that you're a person of color then the reality of the matter is that if they wanted to convict us on anything, they really should have said, well, you know, we really think that you guys are going to do something in life that's going to cause you to get arrested anyway. So, therefore, we are going to um, – we, we, hold, hold, hold on for one second. Um, hold on for one second. No problem. Take your time. And while you're doing that, just let me know when you're available. Let me just fill in the blanks for those who just tuned in. This is a show normally hosted by Leslie Gist. The show is entitled The Gist of Freedom. And those of you who are listening were bright enough and interested enough to dial 347-324-5552. So please repeat that number to family and friends. While you're listening to the show, you can tweet it. You can put it on Facebook. Tell family and friends to dial 347-324-5552. And that way they can hear the show and not just hear the show, they can also ask questions at the end. But Yusuf, are you available? Yes, I'm back. Sorry about okay. that. Okay, no problem, no problem. Believe me, man, I can talk for hours and hours, so it's not a problem. But folks want to hear from you. So go ahead, pick up where you left off. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's the reality of the matter. I mean, you know, I was speaking with Ken Burns um, recently, and, and he said something very interesting because I had mentioned that, you know, I'm one of those guys who, when you know, you talk about conspiracies, like the conspiracy to destroy the black boys, and now they have a book out uh, called The Conspiracy to Destroy the Black Girls and stuff like that. I said, you know, I absolutely believe in conspiracies because they conspire against us all the time. And he said something really interesting that, that made me wake up to a completely different reality. 
And what he said essentially was there is no conspiracy. He said folks have to understand that the reality of the matter is that we don't think that somebody, some entity, some group is devious enough to have that far thinking in their planning. Yes. When you look, when you look at what's going on with something yes. like the, um, what is it that they call the, the, the statistics? So mm-hmm. these statistics that they have, um, they have statistics that basically state that if you are a person of color and you are a male, then you will be dead or in jail before you yes. reach the age of 21. Absolutely. And so when you look at that, who created the statistics? Mm. How 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 evil a plan is, how evil it is for a plan to be that thorough that they will condemn a race of people by the color of their skin and say, well, you are a person of color, this is going to be the outcome that you're going to have to face. You Great see what I'm point. saying? Yusuf, let me do this for those who just tuned in. You're listening to the show, normally hosted by Sister Leslie Gist, and I have to give her a big, big shout-out because she she gets out to the community through her excellent show entitled The Gist of Freedom. On the line, we have Brother Yusef Salam, known as one of the Central Park Five in connection with the Central Park Jogger case from April 19, 1989, where Brother Yusef Salam at age 15, along with four others, a total of four blacks and one Latino, falsely accused, illegally interrogated, and then found guilty and sentenced to prison. The young man you're listening to now is Brother Yusuf Salam talking about his experience. And Yusuf, before we get into these alleged confessions, you mentioned the name Ken Burns. For those who don't know who Ken Burns is, explain why you mentioned him and who he is. Yusuf, can you hear me? Yes. And you had mentioned the name Ken Burns. Some people might not know him as the great filmmaker that he is, but just talk a little bit about Ken Burns and the film he did about your story. Yes, indeed. So if you can imagine um, being accused of one of the most heinous crimes that you can go to prison for, a crime of rape, the only yes. crime that trumps that is child molestation. Yes. So what happens is when you go to jail and you're labeled with this particular kind of atrocity, the inmates themselves have their own ways of dealing with that kind of thing. They have their own way of of exacting justice on you. So essentially, you're not supposed to survive going to prison for that crime. And I say that because when you think about the whole context of it all, it becomes such a living hell that either – you get taken out by the inmates or you end up taking yourself out because you can't deal with it by hanging up in the cell or slitting your own wrist or something like that, right? Yes. The fact that we survived prison meant that we were not supposed to survive socially. We were supposed to have a social death. And so here here we came home from prison after doing a huge amount of time. How long How long were you in prison, Yusuf? I personally was in prison for seven years. Corey Wise was in prison for 13 years, and he's the one who Matias Reyes, the murderer and rapist, bumped into in Auburn Prison. And then he said he saw the hurt and the pain in his eyes and realized after he himself had gotten spirituality in his life, 
that he had to come clean and tell the truth about this case. Let's you do see? this, you but see, because, again, you know the details. I have some information about it, but the listening audience might not know. Because when I talked earlier about a rapist slash murderer confessed um, to this and his DNA matched the evidence, you know what that's all about. I know what it's all about. You mentioned the name Carrie Wise, one of the Central Park Five. Tell us about that inmate that Carrie Wise bumped into and how that led to the ultimate confession. Give us that background. So the background to that is that there was a, back in 1989, there was a, a, a guy running around who everyone was calling the East Side Rapist or the East Side Slasher. And essentially, he, you know, everybody who does something, they do it in very particular ways. You know, if you get up in the morning, you know, your modus operandi would be that either you would wake up, stretch, go to the bathroom, maybe use the bathroom, maybe shower if you didn't shower the night before, brush your teeth, comb your hair. I mean, you have a a, a regular way of doing things. Yes. In, in the criminal perspective, that's called your MO, your modus operandi. So this particular guy, his MO was that he would maim his victims so badly so that if they lived to tell another day, they would not be able to identify him because he would either cut their eyes out, bash their head in, something. He, was, he, he did something so that he would make sure he could not be identified. But in addition to that, he also, as he said, tied his victims up a certain way. So that being said, he was out there doing all of this crazy stuff, essentially raping and slashing folks. And when we got arrested for the Central Park Jogger trial, or Central Park Jogger case, they put us in prison, essentially threw away the key and thought that they had solved the the the, the um the crime of the century, as Mayor Koch said, right? So when they did that, our our families and our supporters were basically telling them, the city and the media and the police department, you got the wrong folks. You need to be out there trying to solve this crime because the person who committed this crime is still out there and is probably out there doing more crime. The East Side rapist got caught because a few months later, he essentially raped and murdered a pregnant Latina woman while her boys were in the next room. Whoa. A few days prior to 1980, the April 19th incident in 1989, he also attempted to rape a woman in Central Park, not far from where he raped the Central Park jogger. So the background to that is that, and, and you know, you think about you think about how things are laid out. Had had Corey went to parole, he had five to fifteen. So had he gone to parole and said, you know what? This is crazy. This is too much hell to go through. I am going to just say that I, I raped her so that I can get off on parole. Yes. Never bumped into Matias Reyes. Matias Reyes would have never came clean about the truth of the matter that he, in fact, raped the Central Park jogger. Because, see, back then, there was DNA that they found on the scene. And at the scene of the crime, they tried to make it seem as if, in the papers, they had DNA and when they put that out there, that there was DNA, everybody thought that there was a DNA match, and that DNA matched us. Yeah. But then came back out and said, oh, man, the DNA doesn't match them. But with the public, they quickly swept that underneath the rug 
And the people forgot that there was no DNA match. The only thing that was left was the residue of the damage that was done by the media saying that there was DNA in this case. That's absolutely outrageous. I got to tell you, uh, Brother Yusuf, I often interview people who have great stories to tell, but yours is as great as any as I've ever heard or had. Again, those who just tuned in, you listen to a show normally hosted by Sister Leslie Gist of the Gist of Freedom. And Sister Leslie was kind enough to allow me, yours truly, Michael Cord from Philadelphia, to have a historic interview with Brother Yusuf Salam, one of the accused. Central Park 5 accused of victimizing Trisha Mielli in Central Park on April 19, 1989. And I have to tell you, that story you just told about one of the Central Park 5, Carrie Wise, happening to run into Matias Reyes in prison was two problems with that. One, the fact that you all were in prison, in that kind of prison, with that kind of monster. Innocent boys in a prison with rapists and murderers is absolutely outrageous. And the fact that it wasn't the system through the police or even through the defense attorneys who were able to do the investigation to get you out, it just happened that one of the five ran into this guy, Reyes, and he decided to come clean and tell the story. Let me ask this, because I've got a million questions for you, and we want to see if we can get to some of the listeners who have probably dialed 347 324 Five 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 two. But let me just ask a few questions. They claim the system does that. The other four: Antron McCray, Kevin Richardson, Raymond Santana, and Carrie Wise all confessed, all signed, and were all on videotape. And that you confessed but didn't sign anything. Tell us your story. Did you confess? Did they force you to confess? Did they trick you into confessing? What's your story? I didn't confess at all. As a matter of fact, my mother tells it better than I. She said, with 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 um knowing exactly how they found this this so-called confession, she said that the police officer who was interrogating me, first of all, did not have her permission to talk to me because I was under the age of 16. Mm-hmm. But because he said that he didn't talk to me, there was this so-called story that he concocted in his own brain that he came out with, and then he went to the DA's office about two weeks after the fact, typed up this story in the DA's office, and then said this was the confession that Yusuf Salam gave. Wow. So my mother said, and as I'm going to say, he should have said that that was his confession because he (laughs) himself wrote that cockamamie story. Yes. You see what I'm saying? So the fact of the matter is that when you think about how devious this case is, when you think about even the false confessions of my co-defendants, Corey, Kevin, Antron, and Raymond, these false confessions were essentially um, coerced out of them. There's no other way to think about this. When you deprive young boys, young children of food, sleep, and drink for over 24 hours and essentially promise them the world that you will, that you will let them go home and you think and you know that they are good boys you just want them to say this you see when they when they got myself and Corey to the court I mean to the to the to the precinct they put me in one room and put Corey in another room 
and they physically beat Corey up. I heard them while they were beating him up in the next room. Then they would tiptoe in the room that I was in, look at me and say, hey, you're next. So it's a wonder how I wasn't able to make a false confession, how I wasn't able to be on videotape saying things that I knew I didn't do. But the reality of the matter is that I didn't make a false confession and I did not make a videotape confession. Let me ask you, Yusuf, um, if this happened in 1989, you at the time were, what, 15 years old? You're about, what, 39 years old today? Correct. Um, You don't sound angry. You don't sound bitter. You don't sound enraged. I'd be all for that. I'd be in prison as a result of that. How have you maintained your composure so well? Well, you have to understand. So as I was saying, you had asked me about um, Ken Burns. And one of the things that we never gave up hope on is we never gave up hope in thinking that the truth was going to come out with regards to this case. Even though we were here convicted, tried, and put in prison, we spent most of our young lives in prison. We came home to the stigma of being a rapist. We had that target on our back. As I was saying, we weren't supposed to survive that. We were supposed to have a social death. What the system did instead, without them even knowing it, is they gave us a platform from which we speak today. The platform was a platform that we were once known to be infamous, and now we are living um, personalities of history, which is amazing, right? Yes. So here... Ten years after we got exonerated, first of all, 13 years after we were convicted, the truth came out. Most people look at the number 13 as an unlucky number. But here, 13 years later, the truth comes out. Yes. Ten years after that, I mean, ten years after, after, we, after the truth came out and they vacated our convictions, we filed lawsuits. Ten years after we filed lawsuits, we are still fighting the city in the lawsuits that we filed in 2002-2003. In fact, Yusuf, I'm glad you mentioned that because the media reports say that in 2003 there were civil lawsuits filed by Antron McRae, by Kevin Richardson, and by Raymond Santana. They don't include you or Carrie Wise. Why, I don't know. But I want to ask you first, did you, in fact, file a lawsuit, and two, is it true that despite the fact that the DA supported all the charges being erased and vacated, despite the fact that a judge entered an order vacating the conviction, I understand that the prosecutor at the time, who's no longer the prosecutor, is still saying that you all did it. So my first question is, did you file a lawsuit, and two, is it true that the prosecutor from 1989 is saying that the truth is these guys really did it? Absolutely. We did file lawsuits. We all filed lawsuits. Okay. The lawsuits that we filed totaled $250 million. Hmm. The, 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 the craziness that the, that the DA in the case is trying to get people to believe is that one, we had some involvement with raping the Central Park jogger. And she's even, saying, even though no DNA from any of you matched at the scene. 
Absolutely. She's trying to say and she's trying to make people believe that even though there was no DNA that matched at the scene, that we were the ones who raped her, and then she was the one who stayed on the longest. Okay. They're trying to say that he was a friend of ours when we know and everybody else knows that most of the Central Park Five met each other in prison. We didn't even know each other. Mm. So they're trying to say that he was a friend of ours and that we made up this crazy story so that at some point in the future we would get paid. I'm not in the co- I'm in, I'm not in the classroom with you, um, brother. Right. So if you think about it, if I was to ask the question to the classroom audience and even to the listening audience, who by show of hands would volunteer to go to prison for seven years for a crime that they did not do, with the promise and the assumption and the hope that they might win a lawsuit totaling fifty million dollars? Who who would who by a show of hands would, would agree to that? You got to look under the same circumstances. Nobody raised, nobody raised their hand, Professor. But, but, well, check this out. If, so so if we draw it back and say, well, okay, well, you know, seven years is a long time. Well, how about a year? I mean, you know, same circumstances. Who would volunteer to go to prison for a year? Same same conditions. You, you're going to be known as a rapist. But, you know, hey, you might win $50 million. So, you know, when you think about it, Nobody has ever raised their hand, even when asked, yes. well, how about for five minutes? Mm. How about you go to prison for five minutes and you have the promise of possibly winning a lawsuit? Because when you put it in that context, yes. you've got to remember, Corey Wise, when he got sent to prison, he got sent to Rikers Island. The inmates beat him and Michael Briscoe who didn't become known as one of the Central Park Five or the Central Park Seven, as some people say. Um, he didn't become known as that, but they beat them down for over five minutes. Wow. A lot can happen in five minutes. You can get killed in five minutes. You can get killed in five minutes. So I say all of that because when you think about it, if you put it in the proper context, you get, you begin to understand, wait, hold up. Why would these guys even uh, go to jail for something like that? That sounds just some some craziness. But this is what the DA, in the case, Linda Fairstein, has tried to make people believe. She can't be human enough to say that she made a mistake in the same way that Robert Morgenthau, in the same way that Mayor David Dinkins, in the same way that countless others who called for blood she can't be human enough to say, you know what, damn, I, I really dropped the ball on this one. She was able to build her career, live lavishly after retiring off of the backs of the Central Park Five. You know, I'm glad you laid it out like that, and I'm not Christian, I'm not Muslim, but I am inclined to believe there is a hell for people like her to the extent that she benefited financially off your blood, sweat, and tears, as they say, karma is a bitch. So I think yeah. karma is waiting for her. <laughs> what exactly are you doing now? I mean, if there was an organization that needed a spokesperson for injustice in the criminal justice system, you would be that person. What exactly are you doing now? Well, I'm going to tell you. So you asked me, you asked me earlier 
about why why doesn't it sound like I'm bitter or anything like that. Right now, I've actually been working with the Innocence Project, and yeah. what we're doing, which is which yeah. is something that's so important, we've been actually channeling our energy to make sure that there never, ever will be another Central Park Five. So we go into junior high schools. We go into high schools. We go into middle schools, elementary schools. We've been to universities. And we've been talking to young people about the importance of knowing their rights, the importance of what this film means in the context of a global thing. Because when you realize how deep this film is, you realize, one, that it really isn't just about the Central Park Five. It's about if they were able to do this to five young persons of color, then that means that none of us are safe. That's you know, what you, said, you laid it out so well. And um, what I'm going to do at this point, the extent that we can get callers, and before we get callers, and by the way, Yusuf, I want to know if there's a way folks can get in touch with you. But before that, as I pointed out, this show is called The Gist of Freedom, normally hosted by Leslie Gibbs and I appreciate her allowing me to serve as a host. And she provides me with ammunition and information to share with me that the documentary about your story, about the Central Park Five, will be aired and released on April 16th. So we hope folks write that date down, April 16th, so that they can see exactly what you're talking about. Also, thanks to Leslie, I found out that Donald Trump had paid nearly $100,000, actually, Eighty-five thousand apiece for four ads demanding the death penalty in this case. Donald Trump, absolutely outrageous. Um, if you want to comment on either point, you said you're welcome to. One about the April 16 release of the documentary, and two Donald Trump, Donald Trump paying eighty-five thousand dollars apiece for four ads demanding the death penalty. Yes, indeed. So. You know, the, 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 the airing of this film, the airing of this film is going to happen via PBS on April 16th at 9 p.m. on Eastern Standard Time. And what happens is that this is going to be such a great free showing of this film that it's going to be not only um, some specials that we're going to be doing that night, but we're going to also be doing some things the night after that with Times Talks. And then on the 23rd of April, the Blu-ray and DVD is actually going to be released to the public. Excellent. So I'm a lot of stuff going on, but I'm going to tell you, everybody who had any involvement with sending us and railroading us and sending us to prison, we have named in our lawsuit. The only person that has not been named in our lawsuit has been Donald Trump. And I'm just going to say this about that, which is, which is such a, a messed up situation about the legal system. The legal system has said that there are statute of limitations on certain crimes. And so a crime like defamation of character, which essentially Donald Trump has, has perpetrated, I'm pretty sure he's perpetrated many times. But with specifics regard to the Central Park Five, here you had a man who called for the death penalty specifically in our case. And as uh, Reverend Butt said so eloquently, he said, had this been 1901, they would have drug us from our houses. Yes. All from trees in Central Park. Cut our genitals off. Castrated us, essentially. And we would have been burned, and that would have been that. That would have been the justice, and that was the same type of justice 
that Donald Trump was calling for. Because, see, it's no more lynching from hanging from a tree. It's now that they, it's now they legal lynch you by sending you to prison and causing you to have a physical or a spiritual or a social death, you see? And so it caused other folks to write in the paper. I think it was uh, Pat Buchanan who wrote an article that said something to the effect that, well, if, they, if we took the eldest one and we hung him from a tree in Central Park, and we took the others and we horsewhipped them, maybe the city's park would be safe again. This is the I, same this tendencies and racist mentalities and racist jargon that we continue to see to this day. Like, news is not important unless it's bad news, unless they can sell the news yes. in a way that can compel the audience, the regular common citizens, to purchase this paper. You see? I got to tell you, Brother Yusuf, you do a great job eloquently expressing the outrage. I love the analogy you brought out about what would have happened if this was 1901. Well, let's fast forward to 1931 in Alabama with the Scottsboro Boys. Same kind of thing with boys are accused of raping. And as I pointed out at the beginning of the show, a similar kind of thing could be happening. It's not a rape case, but two boys, black, age 17 and age 15, are accused of a heinous crime, not only robbing and shooting a mother, but then shooting the 13-month-old child in the head and face during the robbery. And the media is showing these kids' faces and showing their names, the kind of stuff that should never, ever happen. So it's, people often say the more things change, the more they remain the same. I say the more things change, the more they get worse. And we can yes, see that. What I'm going to do at this point, Brother Yusef Salam, I'm actually in class, as you know, so I have to wrap things up. But those who have tuned in by dialing 347-324-5552, stay on the line. We're going to probably play some music and hear from the normal host, Leslie Gist, this great show, The Gist of Freedom. Brother Yusef, is there a way that folks can get in touch with you? By the way, if folks want to reach me, they can call me in Philadelphia at 215 552-8751, or email me at michaelcord at msn.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-O-A-R-D at msn.com. But you, Brother Yusef Salam, how can folks reach you? Email, Facebook, Twitter, how? Hey, listen, I'm all over social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Tumblr. I'm on Google Plus. I'm everywhere, you know. I tell folks how to spell your name. So my first name is Y-U-S-E-F as in Frank. My last name is S-A-L-A-A-M as in Michael. I got to so, tell you, but if, young man, you are certainly the spokesperson that movements like this need. You know, I don't want to say you're articulate because black men are automatically supposed to be articulate. So that's not something special. But your composure is special. I can't believe you're not yelling and screaming and ranting and raving. You are a perfect spokesperson for this movement. I'm going to reach out to you on Facebook so we can be friends and I'm going to steal you from Leslie Gistro and have you on my <laughs> Philadelphia radio show. But, young man, hey, you've, done a great, you've done a great job. A pleasure speaking with you, and I look forward to talking with you again. 
Absolutely. If, 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 if folks want to reach me via email as well, I have a very easy email address, and it's YusefSpeaks at gmail.com. Absolutely perfect. And by the way, in regards to Sister Leslie Gist of the Gist of Freedom, I understand that they're working with the Innocence Project to have a screening at the Malcolm Center, the Audubon Theater in New York. So we're going to look out for that. Um, it's probably going to be sometime on Father's Day, but uh, we're looking closely at it. So folks who are interested, please stay tuned or reach out to Leslie Gist at 347-324-5552. Five two, Brother Yusef, you'll hear from me shortly. And once again, thank you for being on the show tonight. Absolutely. Thank you for, for having me. My pleasure. Hello, we have some calls online. Calls, are you there? I'm here. Okay, we'll take your call. Yusuf, are you still on the line? Yes, I am. Okay, call it. Please take your question. Hi, Yusuf? Yes. Hi, my name is Mona, and I just wanted to um, say that I think you are incredible spiritually for dealing um, so level-headedly in a conscious way with what's been going on. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I appreciate that. And I just wanted to say, at the at the outset of the interview with Michael, you your 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 phrase was um, something like uh, it was bad, or they thought we were bad just being black. And I just wanted to say, the issue isn't race, but it's racism. Yes. So the issue the issue isn't did they persecute me because I'm black. The issue is. They persecuted you because they were racist and had the power and the authority to do that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Black self is beautiful, you know. It's just a construct, and I just wanted to reiterate that. I am um, praying for you and sending you light and love. Thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. Well, definitely, you, you guys can have me on the show again. You know, this was great. Oh, I enjoyed it immensely. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll be in touch. And good night and stay blessed.